listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11 today. But you may not know this about me, but I am a world class people watcher. World class at this. In fact, I don't mind going shopping as long as I don't have to shop and and I get to watch people. I've even started training my son in the art of people watching. I learned it from my dad. I'm now passing that on to my son. In fact, my dad and I are experts at this and we have this kind of intuitive gift that we can tell a lot about people by watching them. So, you ever been around my dad and I? We, I think I would actually make a great profiler. Marla and I found a show on, on TV that we started watching about these, these profilers, and it's confirmed I would be a great profiler because there's got to be something I can take online to get certified because I love to watch people. So, you ever see this kind of guy creeping and watching you? It's probably just me or my dad. We're harmless. But we're just, we love to watch people because you can learn so much about people. Marlon and I were out to eat the other night, and there were three people I was watching. It was driving me crazy because I just couldn't figure it out, and it was intriguing. And then I remembered, oh, wait, you're on a date with your wife. And so reengaged in what was going on. But I love to watch people. You can find out things when you're watching them. You can watch them and tell, oh, they're coworkers. You can tell about how they're interacting and what they're talking about. You can tell if they've married. Often make an educated guess on how long you can... Uh, see if they're lifelong friends by listening and watching what they do. You can even predict people by the order that they were born in by watching how they interact. So for you that are firstborns like myself, you're kind of reliable, you're, you're conscientious, you're structured, uh, you're controlling at times, but you're high achievers. And you can watch people and you say, oh yeah, I, I bet they're firstborn. Or if you're the middle child. You're people pleasers. You uh, like to keep the peace. You usually have a large uh, social circle. You can be somewhat rebellious, uh, and you thrive on friendships. These are the people that love being around other people, and they get energized by this, and you can notice this. (coughs) You can tell if people are the youngest. I like to call them the spoiled ones. You're fun-loving. You know, you're uncomplicated. You can be manipulative. You're outgoing. That attention seeker, you know, they, they are self-centered at times because the world revolves around the baby of the family. But you can watch people and you can tell so much about them by the way they care themselves and their behavior. Because our behavior says so much about us. In fact, our behavior should reflect our reality. Our behavior What we do, what we say, how we interact, it should reflect a reality about us. And so that's exactly what Peter is going to show us today. He's going to give us four behaviors, four things that he says we're to be about. He's going to talk about prayer, loving others well, being hospitable, and even using your spiritual gifts. And so we're going to see how our behavior should reflect our reality. So the first behavior... If you like to take notes and write these down, the first one he's going to talk about is prayer. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. 
Therefore, be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. So the first thing that Peter does is he takes his readers and he says that the end of all things is at hand. Now, what does he mean when he says the end of all things? Meaning everything that God set out to accomplish for the redemption of mankind is completed. There is nothing else that God is waiting to do other than send his son to come back and retrieve his bride. That's the only thing we're waiting on. Jesus Christ did everything that God the Father set out for redemption. It has totally been accomplished. And Peter says, the end of all of those things is over. There's nothing else left for God to do. So what Peter's doing, he's reminding people that in essence, your time is short. Now, there's two things about people that really live this way. If you live and you know or you've been in a situation where your time is short, you are going to do everything about your relationships with loved ones to bring them front and center. That's going to happen. And you know what always happens when you realize your time is short? You simplify your schedules. I'll never forget, I think I've told you before, the scaredest I've ever been at the moment. I thought my life was going to be over. I was in the bottom of this hole of this boat coming across the sea in Sierra Leone. It's nighttime. You can't see anything. And that boat is just bottoming out. You can hear the engines coming out of the water. And I really thought this is going to be it. It's going to read in the headlines, missionaries die in the sea of Sierra Leone. I really thought this was going to be the scaredest I've ever been. And the only thing I could think about was, man, I cannot wait to get home and to see my family. And I could care less about all the meetings that were waiting on me when I got back. So when your time is short, you are going to do everything that you can to bring your relationships front and center. It brings an urgency. And then you will simplify your schedules. And then he says... If this is a reality, if you realize your time is short, the end of all things is at hand, our time is short, he says there's a behavior that should be reflected in that reality. He says be self-controlled and sober-minded. These two words actually are very, very similar in what they mean. We should be in control of our thoughts. We should not allow our thoughts to control us. And you're to be clear-minded. We're to keep our minds focused on that all we're waiting on is Jesus who sits at the right hand. He's just waiting on the word go. And we should keep our minds focused on that. So when you keep your minds focused and they're clear and they're disciplined, Peter says, and this is the reason for all of this, he says, for the sake of... Of your prayers, or your translation might say, so that you can pray. Speaking of prayer, listen to what Robert Lighton says. Prayer eases the soul in times of distress. When it oppresses with grief and fears, but more, it gives those fears and griefs vent, emptying them into The heart of God. So Peter knows his people, thinking back that these are exiles, they're living in this uncertainty of time, they would have been facing fear and grief and uncertainty. Peter encourages them to turn to God in prayer. Because people that are that are praying and they are self-controlled and they're keeping their minds sober and focused, those are ones that will learn what it really means to rely on. 
on God because they believe He is in control of all things. And their behavior is reflected in this reality. So having a a self-controlled and a sober mind means, you know what, you don't panic when natural disasters hit. When, When an official gets put into office that you don't like, or when things seem, you watch the news and it seems that everything begins to unravel. But you know what it also means? It means we don't just live in constant fear. But it also means that we don't just run and hide and gather in our homes and wait for everything to come to an end. No, what Peter is saying is that you keep your nose to the grindstone and you continue to work on this ongoing sense of purpose and meaning and urgency. You live as if Christ would come back before we ever conclude here today, but also with the possibility that it could be long after you pass away. And Peter says the secret to keeping this kind of balance and this calmness is prayer. Meaning, when something alarms you, you know what you do? You pray. When uh, life and current events are confusing, you know what you do? You pray. When the world seems like a scene out of The Walking Dead, you know what you do? You pray. So he says our behavior of being sober-minded and being self-controlled prayer warriors is only possible because our reality is that our King Jesus is just waiting on the word go. And when that's our reality, it should be reflected in our behavior. So since we are only waiting on Christ to come back, it should be reflected in our mindsets of prayer. Then look at behavior number two. He says to love Others well. It says in verse 8, above all or of most importance, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So, what does it mean to love earnestly? I mean, Peter is describing a love that is persistent and it, it pushes through difficulties. You know, it's like Shannon Costle being married to Mike for all these years. He's not an easy guy to love, and I know that. But she's persistent and she's pushed through those difficulties. I'm just teasing. Pushed through those difficulties. Peter is saying that you love those that are easy to love and especially those that are hard to love. And notice what love does. It says it covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that you love me and my sins are forgiven. What he is saying is that it's a love that isn't blind, but that it sees and accepts the faults of other people. Now, this is an important thought all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 10, 12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but you know what love does? It covers all offenses. 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes in all things, and endures all things. Romans 15 says that we who are strong in an obligation need to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We are to bear with one another, meaning no one is perfect. Stay around here long enough and you know what? Someone's going to hurt your feelings. Someone is going to do something that leaves you out. Someone is going to say a harsh word. 
But we are to accept that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. And listen, there's going to come a time, if it hasn't already, I'm going to need you to show me grace and forgiveness. I know it's going to happen. And you know what? You're going to need that from other people. So Peter is talking about a love people with a love that was given to you through Jesus Christ. And listen, church, we must be on guard. Satan will do anything, as Taylor was just talking about, he will do anything to divide God from his people and God's people from each other. He will do anything he can to drive a wedge between them. In fact, I think he finds no greater satisfaction when God's people tear each other apart. And I think the greatest disaster for a church is for a church to be destroyed from within because of their own inability to love and forgive each other. Because there's a world that's watching to see how these crazy people that give up from sleeping in on a Sunday morning to gather together and they invite people into their homes and they do other things. People are wondering, why do they do that? And they're just waiting for an opportunity. Listen to what David Helm says. Love. Love takes the oxygen out of sin the way a blanket chokes the air from one caught on fire. Similarly, as long as oxygen is present, forest fires rage. But if we could take the air away, the blades would settle down and great tracts of land would be saved. Man, we need to love in this way. We need to not uh, breathe evil into those around us. We need to keep short accounts. So what happens is Peter is saying our behavior to love well It is only possible because we have been loved perfectly by God the Father. And since I have been loved perfectly by the Father, I need to be reflecting that in my behavior of how I love and treat and forgive other people. So he says, pray, sober-minded, keep your minds clear, keep on focused and pray. And he says, love others well. Then the third behavior, he says, be hospitable. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So hospitality, it means this. It means to open up what you have to other people, particularly your homes. You know, we, uh, we put up so many barriers to this idea of hospitality. We think we don't have anything to offer or what we have isn't good enough. We think our homes are not nice enough or big enough and we think we don't have enough time We think it's too much trouble. And I think we're even afraid of looking bad before others, so we don't do it. So the key to hospitality is just to begin. And it doesn't matter if you live in a great big home, an apartment, a dorm room, a small home. But when we we need to be doing is opening up our homes to other people. We need to every now and then, you know what, we need to bake cookies just to take to the neighbor. You know what, we need to get to know those in our neighborhoods and that elderly person that we just need to go and check in from time to time. We need our children getting to know them. We need not be afraid to say hello and to invite people in to our lives and into our homes. And I want to let you in on something. I've been praying about this a lot lately for our campus. And I believe that the growth of this campus and even Bethel in general, depends 
on us not creating great worship times and having great facilities, that's not what's going to take a, a campus to what we would say the next level or the next phase of life. What's going to take us to that level is for all of us to begin opening up our lives and homes so that God's grace can flow out of our homes into people's lives. And then we get to say, man, listen, well, I, I, there's this great group of people. Man, they have loved us so well. They have made us feel a part of things. I want you to come meet my other family. But it happens when we open up our homes and we allow God's grace to flow out of that into people's lives, sitting around our tables and in our living rooms or on our patios, inviting people in to our lives. But you know what? It's not easy. It's not easy to do this, to open up our lives to other people. It's like Benjamin Franklin said. Guests are like fish. They begin to smell after three days. And you know what? We're all that way. Life is messy. We all smell, but we cannot be afraid to open up our lives to other people so that God's grace can flow out of that into them. And I want you to know, it's because this is what happened for us. I can remember as a young child being invited in people's homes and being made to feel so welcome. Man, I can remember those happening when my mom and dad would say, oh, we're going over to someone's home and how, man, they would just make us feel so welcome. I can remember being newly married and people inviting Marla and I into their homes to eat and to play cards. I can remember being the new kid on the block and moving into a new city, not knowing anyone, and neighbors inviting us over just to get to know them. So Peter is saying that we need to share the, the goodness of God with others through our homes because God has been good to us. His grace should overflow out of our homes and into the lives of other people. So he says our behavior of being hospitable is only possible because God has opened up His home to us. And one day we get to experience that in the fullest and since that is my reality, I need to be opening up my home to more and more people so that God's grace can flow out of that into their lives. So it's just to pray, sober-minded, clear-minded, love others well, love as you've been loved. He says, be hospitable. And then the fourth one, using your spiritual gifts. Listen to verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, and we all love to receive gifts, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, we could spend weeks talking about spiritual gifts. So here's a couple of highlights about spiritual gifts. Every believer is indwelled by the Spirit of God. And that's why one of the things we fight for a family worship service. If children can put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it means they're indwelled by the Spirit. We need them. We need their gifts in this body. Where's my buddy Jacob? Um, Jacob was, he, he came out earlier because he, he wanted to come in here. I love that. So every believer is indwelled. Peter reminds us also, once you've received, he says you've received some gifts. Meaning that not everybody has all of the gifts. That it has to be a team working together. He says that God gives these gifts freely. 
You know what he does sometimes? Sometimes he takes a talent that's always been there. But then his spirit comes into your life and all of a sudden this gift is used now, this talent is used in a way that blesses people that you never knew that, that could happen. It blesses them spiritually. Or you know what? It could be something that you never knew you had and all of a sudden that Christ comes into your life, you're indwelled by the spirit, and all of a sudden there's gifts there that you never knew you had. But the question is always, well, how do I know what my gift is? How do I know how I'm gifted? The worst thing you can do is probably go take a spiritual inventory test. If you want to do that, go and do that. But here's what you do. You know what you do? First of all, you pray and you ask God to reveal it to you. Because if he's the one that's given it to you, he can reveal it to you. Then you find somebody that you know well, a close friend, somebody that's close to you, and ask them. This is vulnerable, but you say, listen, tell me how you think God is gifted. People are noticing. People can see how God has gifted you, and they can speak that truth into you. And then you know what you do with your gift? It says that you serve one another. So God gives these gifts, and we are to steward. They're not ours. We're not to hoard them. We're to use them. And I love the next part. It says God's varied grace, meaning God will give different gifts to different people. And these gifts are called graces, meaning there is a portion of God's grace that He gives you that's not meant for you. It's meant for you to use and invest in other people. You're to use them and you're to live these out in front of other people. My friend Dan Bolin, he calls this shooting the gap. With God's grace. And it's a football term. It's the running back takes the ball. And he's looking at that line. He's looking for that opportunity. When that, when that divide happens, he shoots the gap. And Dan Boland uses this, this idea of shooting the gap of, with God's grace. Meaning there are people all around you. There are people all around me that we need to be shooting the gap with God's grace in their life. He's going to place them all around you. My friend Corey, one of our elders... He taught me this phrase, and it's simple, but he says, you know what? It's just make the call. He says, man, there's going to be people that you know, you hear something, certain happens, and, and our tendency is just to put it off or I'll do that later. He says, no, just make the call. You know what that is? That's shooting the gap. Or what about this? We're in that season of life, and it's happening right now where last weekend, man, the sports world kicked off. There's a kid playing a sport somewhere, kicking some ball, hitting some ball, doing something somewhere almost every night of the week. I was at some ball games this last night, just watching some of our families and people watching. And I'm watching these moms and dads, and they are on pins and needles. Because you know, not everybody is going to make it to the NBA. Not everybody's going to make it. But they're around these other parents. And what's happening is they're comparing their kid to everybody else. And the worst fear of a parent is their kid to be up at the plate, two outs, bottom of the ninth, you know, bases loaded, you're behind by one run, and it's your kid up to bat. Because we're looking and we want our kids to succeed. We want them to do great. But we're watching them and it, it, there's this fear that comes over us that my kid is not going to be as good as theirs or my kid's not going to meet the expectations of everybody else. Can you imagine what it would be like? You're sitting around that soccer field, and you see this dad, and you can see he's watching their kid, and you know he's too busy playing in the dirt or picking flowers or whatever it is, and the game's going by, and that, he's just terrified. But to walk up to him and say, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, or maybe you know each other, shoot the gap with him and say, you know, man, you're a great dad. Man, I can watch that kid. He is so loved. 
and, and he is so comfortable. And I can tell that's because you're a dad that invested in it. Man, that's shooting the gap with people. You're standing in line picking your kids up for school. There's going to be opportunities to shoot the gap with people. There's all kinds of ways for us to look around. You're standing in line at the grocery store, and we've all been there. And all of a sudden, that person's got that item, and there's no price tag on it, or, or uh, they're needing a new one because there's an egg broken. Everybody in that line does the, <sighs> and you feel it. But why not shoot the gap and say, you know what, it's okay. I've been there. I know it's like, you know what, it'll be a few moments, and it'll be okay. Shoot the gap of God's grace into people's lives. God wants to use you. I believe he's given every one of us gifts that are not meant for us to keep. They're meant for us to use on other people. And I believe there are things that God wants to accomplish inside and outside this church. But he's waiting on you to step into the opportunity. When we look at this, we see that Peter is talking about these gifts that were given were to shoot the gap. And he lists two. He only says speaking in serving in verse 11. Do you see it? Now what's interesting is you can take really all of the spiritual gifts you read in Romans and Corinthians. And you can kind of fit them under these two categories. So it says speaking. And it's not just preaching. We need to find somebody that has that gift. But uh, it's not just preaching. It's if you're a Christian, God's spirit has gifted you to speak truth and grace into people's lives. To shoot the gap with them. Peter is not talking only about sermons. He's talking about speaking across the living room, across the lunch table with a friend, when you're in the riding in the car with someone, when you're talking with a friend as you're walking around Canton. There are so many ways for us to speak into people's lives. Notice what he says that we're to realize when you speak. You should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. Meaning there are people that you're going to sit down with at lunch or they're going to be in your car or they're going to be around your table. They're going to be in your living room. They're going to be sitting on their bed at nighttime. And God is going to speak through you to them. It happened to me this week. One of our elders at the South Campus named Winford Hodges invited me to lunch. And I'm sitting there with him. And, man, I've, you know, I've got my things I've got to get done this day. And um, he says, man, I, I want you to relax. He says, I have no agenda. And he sat there, and man, for just a few moments, he just encouraged me. And then he challenged me. Man, I drove away going, God, that was you speaking to me. I needed to be encouraged at that moment. I needed to be challenged with what he was telling me to do. He was shooting the gap. So when you can speak, you speak the very words of God around a Bible study at lunch before bedtime. You guess what? You can even do it splitting wood sitting in a duck blind, riding in a boat, fishing. There are all kinds of ways for us to speak and to shoot the gap with God's grace into people's lives. Now, how do I know this? It's because Peter tells us that it's not in your own strength. God has promised that he will give you the words to speak if you are willing. So what that means is every time I'm sitting down with lunch with people, men and immediately led by the Spirit to go, God, give me some words of encouragement to them. Or sitting in my life group going, God, give me some words to challenge the people that we're around. We need to be shooting the gap of God's grace with people. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to speak 
into people's lives. Find someone, a family member, a child, a co-worker. Find someone to encourage this week. And then he says serving. And he says serving with the strength God gives you. Peter is once again saying that we are to use all that we have to serve other people. We need to be known as people that give our lives away. And we need to serve people because there are unlimited amount of ways to do this. I mean, we have so many people here that are serving, that are faithfully teaching our children. You know what, man, do you know who is teaching them? Do you know who's investing in them? Find out who they are and encourage them, serve them in that way. Notice how Peter says to serve with the strength that God gives. Because here's the truth about people that serve. No one ever feels adequate in what they're doing. Man, you think I feel adequate to do this? You are mistaken. You could ask Taylor, Taylor, man, you're so good at that. Man, you must always feel great about that. Listen, no one that serves ever feels adequate. But you know what? We need to be faithful in what God is calling us to do. Because no one feels adequate or good enough to serve and lead others. We see people and we think, oh man, they do such a great job at that. But we don't realize that everyone feels inadequate. It requires us stepping out on faith and then allowing God to use us. So whether it's teaching or serving or speaking truth and grace into people's lives, opening up our homes or praying, it requires us to rely on God's strength, not our own. So Peter says, you know what? Our behavior of speaking and serving is only possible because God has given you the gifts and supplied what you need in order for you to do that. And now since that's our reality, since God has indwelled us with His Spirit and He has gifted us, therefore, then we need to be using these gifts. So let me paint a picture for you. Let me give us all kind of a vision. I, I pray that God continues to, to grow this church, and especially this campus, Bethel Wide. I look forward to the day that we're really out of room. And listen, I can't wait for that. I can't wait till we're having major problems because we're out of space. I look forward to the day that we are overwhelmed at how God is transforming people's lives. That there's days we don't have time for the sermon because there are people telling about what God is doing and how He's transforming their lives. I look forward to more days where God is restoring and making marriages healthier. Where God is building strong homes. Where children are learning about who God is and they're falling in love with Him. Looking forward to the day where teenagers are leaving our homes ready for God to use them. I'm ready for the day where God is going to be using people from this body to influence this city and the schools in a powerful way. And you know how we get there? Do you know how this becomes a reality? By all of us being focused on Jesus returning and praying. By being people who are loving each other well. Looking past all of our faults when we start becoming more hospitable by opening up our homes and lives and then collectively using our gifts to speak and to serve other people. That's how that reality happens. And it happens when our behavior is reflected 
and that we belong to the one true king who has redeemed us and supplied all that we need. And then Peter says this. When that is the reality, when that then is reflected through your behavior, that brings glory to God forever and ever. And that should be our focus. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for a morning that could have gone a lot of different ways. As Taylor mentioned, so many of our key leaders out for various reasons and last-minute things, and we can easily get derailed and lose our focus. But thank you for being faithful to us this morning, maybe even when we were not faithful to you. That every morning, every morning, you have something for us. Every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's going to be something for us. Something we can do, some way we can love, some way we can open up what we have to others, some way we can use our gifts in moments to keep our minds focused in prayer. And so, Father, thank you for being faithful to us today, for teaching us, for challenging us. And, Father, our prayer, would it be simple today that throughout this week that we would shoot the gap with your grace into people's lives. So it is in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.